so this weekend, as part of Transformed, we want to start to look at seven key areas in our lives that you and I most often want to make changes in. Let me, for example, can I just ask an honest question of you? How many of you in this room today? Now, it won't be everybody, because some of you today are not even sure about God. But for those of you, wherever you are on the spectrum, whether you're just trying to learn a little bit about God, or whether you've been a Christian for a while, how many of you would like to sense that you're a little bit closer to God this year? Okay, so that's one of the areas. So that means that where I am, I don't want to stay here. I don't know about you. I want to grow. I want to go that direction. I want to know God more, sense him more often, have a more dynamic relationship with him. That is on my heart. That's just one area. So God wants that too, which is neat. We're going to look at that today. How to get closer to God. But there's many other areas that we're going to look at. And our theme verse this next seven weeks. Very important verse. Pivotal. Should be a verse that we memorize. In fact, let's read it aloud. For the first verse on the screen there. Let's read it together enthusiastically. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be by the renewing of your... Where's that found? Romans where? Right. Just a, a, a small pointer, whenever you want to memorize a verse, because most of you remember kind of parts of verses, but you can never remember where it's found, right? The way to help you with that is to always say the reference or the address, which is where we find it. That's, let's say that Romans 12.2, for those of you who don't know, uh, that's from the Bible, and it's kind of like it's address where it's found. So you say the address, you say the verse, and then you say the address. And that's helped me over the years to anchor certain verses and their references in my mind, just a thought. Okay, so here in this particular verse, I want you to notice the tone that Paul is addressing. He says, do not conform. Don't, don't give in. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul is warning. You warn your kids, you've got a different tone, right? When you warn them, you've got a different one. Oh, don't. He says, don't copy the behavior. Don't copy the customs of this world. In other words, let it push you into its mold. And those customs and behaviors are normally selfish and corrupting. Corruption, you can take anything good, and if you degrade it, it becomes corrupted. Same with your data, right? On your computer, you corrupt your hard drive, you've got problems. It was good data, gotten corrupted. It's destructive. He says, if you do this, if you copy the behaviors and the customs of this world, this will be destructive to your spiritual well-being. Whoa. Let's just think about that for a minute. If you copy the behaviors and customs of this world, it will be destructive to your spiritual health. Now, if conversely, if you don't want to corrupt your spiritual health, then it's clear what the instruction is To do there. He says, our refusal to conform to this world's values, that's what he's getting at, must go deeper though than just our behavior and our customs. It must be firmly planted in our minds. The Bible says, uh, uh, the Living Bible says, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Because the way you think will affect the way you feel, 
which will affect the way that you act. That's why the Bible gets right to the root of the issue. See, sometimes it's like weeding. When I was a kid, mum would say, would you boys go and weed the garden? Yes, mum. And we're always impatient. So you know what we do, don't you? Just rip off the tops of them all. All done, mum. And turn a little bit at the top so it looked kind of like kosher. And of course, lo and behold, four days later, they're all grown, bursting with life again because we didn't deal with it. We didn't get to the root of the issue. We just cherry-picked. So Paul is warning, warning is there. And the Bible says in that verse that the key to transformation starts not initially in your actions. Don't do that. And don't do that. Not that. Not even in your behavior, but its origin, as the scripture says clearly there, is to change the way you think. So the way you think affects the way you feel which affects the way you act. Now, we're going to take that principle in Romans there, Romans 12 too, and apply it to transforming seven key areas in your life because Christ came to make your life whole. He came to make your life whole relationally. As far as it is possible, be at peace with all men. Now, notice it says as far as possible, but relationships are very important to God. Relationships always out-trump things. Let me just say it again. Some of you might want to write that down. Relationships always out-trump things. We're going to look at relational wholeness, physical wholeness, mental wholeness. Sometimes, you see, the church sometimes doesn't know how to deal with mental illness. And they tend to demonize people. That is gross ignorance. We're going to look at that too and how to have a healthy mind. We're going to look at from the scriptures too, how to be emotionally healthy, how to be financially healthy, and to have transformation too in our vocations. Because some of us have gotten to a rut where it's just get up, go to work, come home, live for the weekend. How to have a bold, transforming way to think about work. So, today, as we begin the first of seven key areas, which are going to focus today on spiritual health, to get you closer to God, to get your life more transformed. That's what we're going to focus on. A couple of quick examples. Paul, when he finally met Jesus Christ on the road, face to face, he was radically transformed. Because you know why? This guy Paul, before he met Christ, was a religious terrorist. He was going into houses, yanking those people out. And that was the end of that. And he thought he was doing the right thing. This religious terrorist was transformed into an apostle of love who wrote the most well-known poem of love you will ever find in this world. Isaiah was transformed from a depressed person into a courageous person when he met God and when he got closer to God. Moses got so close to God that it actually affected his physical appearance. The Bible talks about that. Now, we all want to be close to God. You wouldn't be here today if you didn't want to be close to God in some way. Now, conversely, the further away from God you walk, the further away from his ways you walk, from his family, the more your life will start to unravel. The Bible says this, all we, we're all involved in this. Me, you, 
the Pope, everybody. All we like sheep have gone astray. And each of us has turned to his own way. That's Isaiah 53, 6. In other words, we like sheep tend to kind of wander and drift. And it's very, very easy to wander. Anybody want to give a testimony? (laughs) Our hearts can wander, right? Get back here. Shouldn't be doing that. Now, some of you here can point to a time in your life, somewhere back there, where you say, you know what? I remember the time when I regularly sensed the joy of the Lord in my life. I sensed his presence. I'd wake up in the morning. Good morning, Lord. Good morning, Ian. How did you sleep? Very well, thank you. And you'd have a very natural conversation with him. And then you go into the bathroom and you start to have a shave. But you're in a bit of a hurry. Yes, you should have got up a bit. Yes, I should have, Lord. Having a shave. Oh, okay, really. Out the bathroom door. Ian, but you haven't cleaned the bathroom sink. There's all those hairs back there. But I'm too late. Ian, we go back. Nice. Rush out into the kitchen, grab your breakfast. On the way out the door. Aren't you forgetting something? What, Lord, me? I've got everything. My keys, wallet. We'll travel. Your children, have you gone back inside and kissed them? Ah! Okay, go back. Daddy, I thought you were leaving without giving me a hug. Thank you, Lord. Some of you remember a time when you could sense his friendship, you could sense his fellowship. And there was joy. And there was a lightness about your Christian life. But right now, some of you today in this room feel like you've lost that. Today, we're going to look at how do you get that back? How do you get back to that sense of relationship when you've kind of wandered away? You've lost the spark. Because if I'm not close to God, I won't have the power to get transformation in these other areas. Now today I want to read a story. And then we're going to look at some of the principles of how to transform your life spiritually. And I want to look at the, uh, the parable of the lost son and the loving father. From Luke chapter 15 verse 11. Now, if you have a Bible, I encourage you to follow along. If you haven't, it'll be up here on the screen. The Bible says this, Jesus told the story. A man had two sons and the youngest son told his father, give me my share of your estate now until you die. First blush, that's pretty audacious, right? The youngest son's share of the estate would normally have been one third. Two thirds traditionally went to the oldest son. And in most cases, he would have received that share upon his father's death. Although some fathers were known back then to potentially divide up their inheritance and retire early from managing their estates. But there was responsibilities then for the kids to look after dad. Now what is unusual here is that it is the younger one who initiates the division of the estate. This here should twig us that there's a problem. 
There's an arrogant disregard to his father's authority as head of the family. And this guy just wanted to say, give me, notice the words, give me. There was a grasping and he left out of selfishness. So his father, the Bible says, divided his wealth between his sons. And a few days later, the son packed up all his belongings and he left home to live in a distant land. And it was distant. We know that because this guy is a Jew. And he's about to go to places where there are lots of pigs. He was already getting away from the father. He's getting as distant as he can from the father. And as he got farther away, he was basically saying, I want to live my own way. I want to do what I want to do. And there the Bible says he squandered his, the gift he'd been given. <laughs> he squandered the gift he'd been given. And we've all done that. And he wasted his life and money on wild parties and reckless living. Read brackets. Shacking up. About the time all his money ran out, so that's a problem. Cash has dried up, visas declined. At the same time, notice one problem, the second problem occurs. A severe famine hit. Well, none of them got no money. There's a famine. And he began to starve because he was left with zip nada. Zero. The only job he could find was feeding swine on a farm. He became so desperate and hungry that even the pig slop he was feeding the swine with looked good to him. But even that, most people think he ate the pig slop. Read it there. What does the Bible say? He didn't. Nah. But nobody would give him anything for his hunger. So even though it looked good, he still couldn't even have that. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, This is crazy. In my father's home, even the lowest paid workers eat well. Well, I'm far away dying of hunger. And he was. I'm going to return to my father and humbly say, Father, I have sinned against both God and you. And I'm not worthy to be part of this family or called your son. But please just make me one of your servants who works for you. So he's already sort of planned his speech. With that attitude, he headed back home to his father. But while the son was still a long distance away from the father, his father saw him coming and filled with love and compassion. He ran out to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him and said, Father, I have sinned both against both God and you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring me the finest robe out of the house and put it on him and then get my signet ring for his finger and shoes for his feet. You didn't got shoes. You were poorer than the poorest in that day. Then roast the calf. That sounds good. But we've been fattening for just such a celebration. We are going to celebrate with a feast of eating and drinking for this child of mine was distant and dead. Some of you may have felt that. That your child, your loved one, is as to you, distant 
and dead. Because they're not involved in your lives, they've rejected your ways, and they've walked their own way. For this child of mine was distant and dead, but now he is back and alive. He was lost, but now he's found. And so the party began. Don't you love that story? (laughs) It's an incredibly great story. It tells the story how every one of us tends to wander away from our creator with things that seem to be more tempting. In this guy's case, it was wine, women, and song. That's what it was. Distractions. These things can sometimes cause us to walk away from the Father who made us and wander from the God who loves us. From this story, we see four things and we can draw four principles that we need to see to get back on track with God. And I don't know where you are today. You may be ways away, or maybe you haven't been into church for many years, or maybe you've sensed some distance in your relationship with God for a while. And you've had one of those seasons where you thought, I don't really sense God's presence in my life. And yet we all long to be closer to God. So how do we get back to him? You do these four things. This is the pathway back to spiritual transformation. Spiritual change. Number one. Number one is this. I get fed up with my life. I get fed up with my circumstances. I get fed up with the way I've been living. I'm too lonely. I'm too depressed. I'm too overworked. I'm too busy. I don't even like myself. No wonder nobody else doesn't like me. I don't like living the life I'm living now. Something's got to change. But friend, can I suggest to you humbly that nothing is going to change in your life until you become dissatisfied with the way things are right now. Until you decide, I don't want this. I'm tired of being stressed out all the time. I'm tired of being frustrated. I'm tired of being overworked. I'm tired of feeling distant from God. You've got to be desperate. You've got to really want to be close to God. You've got to get hungry. You've got to get anxious for change. Nothing happens until you get fed up. The Bible says it here in Luke 15, uh, verse 13 through 14. He wasted it all. By the way, all that stuff, all that money that he'd been given, those gifts, he wasted it all and he had nothing left. He got desperate and hungry. You may want to circle those two words. And by the way, a word for some of you today. I want you to notice something. The father let him go when he said, give me it. Even though he deeply pained him. Deeply pained him. He did not run after him initially. Because he was dealing with a young man with a very strong sense of self-will. And sometimes you've got to let people go and let them, with their own choices, and let them then reap the consequences of their own choices. The father did not send extra money when he ran out. Zip. If he'd have done that, what do you think that young man would have done? He'd have partied some more. He'd have just blown the lot. And there is a lesson to many a parent and grandparent. Do not feed your children or your spouse's bad behavior and support it 
financially. Big mistake. Because they'll never hit the ground. They'll never feel the pain of their own dumb choices. You need to quit pulling the cushion out every time they jump off the cliff. Because it's like a game. They jump off, you put the cushion there. They jump off, it doesn't hurt much, I'll do it again. It needs to hurt. It hurts him. I'm starving. He got desperate, the Bible says. And then, this is beautiful. This is the, the joy. This is what the Father was waiting for. These beautiful words. Then he finally came to his senses. Finally. Pain is a great teacher. This is where transformation starts. Question. Are you there yet? The first step in transforming your relationship with God is found in this. Jeremiah 29, 13. God speaking. He says this. You'll find me when you get serious about finding me and want it more than anything else. Sometimes I fear that we are like what Paul talks about, adulterers, where we have a casual affair with God. Read it. Paul says, you're adulterers. You're so committed to this. You say you're committed to me, but you're shacking up with this. You're putting that ahead of me. God says, you'll find me when you get serious about finding it. I'm wanting it more than anything else. So first, I need to get fed up with the way things are. Not just, yeah, blobbing along. And then second, and very importantly, which the son did, I need to own up to my sin. That's the second thing that this young man did. Luke 15, 17, when he came to his senses, he said, this is crazy. By the way, to live without God is crazy. It is not rational. It's not sustainable. To live without the creator who made you is not logical. It doesn't make sense. And the Bible says when he came to his senses, he said, I have sinned against God and against you. Now, nothing is going to happen also until he comes to stage two. Stage two is where you own up. Remember that when you were a kid? It happened to me. I was told I had to own up. With our kids, one of the things we often used to do is rather than telling them what we'd do wrong, we'd say, Stephen, what did you do wrong here? And until he named it and confessed it, we knew he wasn't serious. We let him confess it with his own mouth. Let them confess what that is. What have you done wrong? Stage two is you're going to own up. I need to face the fact that I haven't been living God's way. I've been living my way. I've been doing what? I want. I've been doing it my way. I've been doing it the way that I think best and conniving and engineering everything, over-engineering everything. I've been doing that in a way, and this is what it looks like. I've been, do, I've been trying to live life that protects me from all of my fears. I've been doing life that tries to control everything around me, even though I logically know I cannot control everything around me. And I'm still trying to control it. The trouble is I get tired of hanging on to all those controls and my stress and irritability goes up the more I try to do that. And I'm about to resign as a general manager of the universe and that's a good job because that job belongs to one person, that's God. And God is God and you are not. And a lot of stress goes off you when that happens. Because you'll notice that 
other things in life don't cooperate with your plans or mine. So I own up. What do I own up to? I own up to my own sin. Psalm, excuse me, Isaiah 59.2. Your sins have separated you from God and have hidden his face from you. This verse shows us why we sense, one of the reasons why we sense God's distance from us. If you feel far from God, guess who's moved? God didn't move. He's always been there and he loves you unconditionally because he never changes and there's no shadow of turning with him. But if you feel far from God, logically you're the only one that has possibly moved. You say, well, how did I move? This is how you moved. You moved when you gave your love to something else. When you give anything else your love over God, there's a word for that in the Bible. And it's called an idol. Now we think of idols, these little stone things that people bow down to and worship. No, not in New Zealand. What can an idol look like? An idol can look like your car. I know a guy that spends more time polishing his car than he does reading his Bible. Seriously. An idol can look like your job because it's more important to you than God. An idol can look like another person because if you put them before God, that's an idol. An idol could be the way that you look. Maybe you spend more time at the gym than you spend in the Word. Anything that you love more than God becomes an idol. And the first and the second commandment are, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make any false idols. Now money can be an idol. Be careful. That's what the Bible says. Look, money's not wrong. But it says don't put your hope in money because it's so uncertain. Don't put your hope. Don't, be, don't do it. It's like, the best way I can explain it to you is it's like monopoly money. It doesn't matter a hell of beans. You're going to be gone. It's going to go to somebody else. You're a manager. But it can be an idol. Success can be an idol. At all costs, I will drive this way because success is what makes me feel significant. There's a problem with that thought. Spot the problem. Golf can be an idol. These are not bad things. They are, a job's not a bad thing. Um, a spouse is not a bad thing. A family's not a bad thing. A, a, a golf isn't a bad thing. Squash isn't a bad thing. They're just a terrible at being first place. The truth is, you are as close to God as you choose to be. And the fact is, you probably haven't been fed up enough to say, I am desperate to know God more. How do I own up and, and to God and say, I've been going my way. I've been doing what I want, not you want, God. I haven't been going your way. Here's a suggestion from the Psalms, a prayer that you could pray. Psalm 51. Be merciful to me, O God, because of your constant love. Because of your great mercy, wipe away my sins. Wash away all my evil and make me clean. I recognize my faults. He's humble here. See? And I am conscious that I have sinned against you. Be careful of getting a hardened conscience there. So how does God respond when I own up to my sin? When I come to God and say, God, you know what I've done. I'm really sorry. How does he respond? He responds like this. Isaiah 1 verse 18. 
The Lord says, no matter, this is a beautiful verse, no matter how deep the stain of your sin, I can remove it. Wow. And I can make you as clean as freshly fallen snow. That's beautiful. Beautiful picture that. Pristine white. Cleansed from all blemish. That is a stunning verse. He says, no matter what you've done, or no matter who you've done it with, I can remove it. And this week, in your small group, we've got a, a, a specific study, and it'll include a spiritual checkup, and it'll help you to go through and get to the bottom of some of these things in more detail. There'll be some printouts at the back to pick up later, or you can write your communication card and we'll email you one. But I'd encourage you to do that in your small group. Again, why do we do a spiritual checkup? Because the Bible encourages that. In 2 Corinthians, look, you even take your own car in. For me, it's every six months. I've got an old car, 22 years old. So I have to take it every six months. In fact, it probably should take it every three months. But some of you guys only have to do it once a year for a warrant. But the Bible says here in 2 Corinthians 13.5, it says, test yourself. It says, you test yourself. And make sure you're solid in the faith. Don't just drift along taking everything for granted. Well, we could just stop right there. Then it says, give yourself regular checkups. I like that. You get a, you get a, some of you go to the doctors and you get regular checkups. Some of you visit the accountant and you get regular financial checkups. The Bible says here, give yourself a regular checkup and if you fail the test, do something about it. That would be a great verse to put in your fridge. So this week in your small groups, we're also encouraging the small group leaders to take communion together. We'll be taking communion. We have communion every week in our small group. But this week, specifically, we're going to encourage communion after you've done a spiritual checkup. So the Bible says before you take, by the way, if you're going to be, when you're going to go to the small groups, when you go to those, it says before you take the Lord's Supper, be sure to do a spiritual checkup. Don't just take it as a matter of form. This time, take pause and not just get fed up, but own up, like the psalmist says. Is there anything in my life, Lord, that is grieving you? Speak to me and I'll fix it. Have this attitude in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. This is open before God. There's nothing hidden before you. See if there any be any wicked way in me, and Lord, lead me in the way of everlasting. That's a great prayer. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. You may want to pray that. It may help you as you do that by yourself. So you get up, you get fed up, you own up, and then you thirdly offer up myself. Notice the change in attitude. Verse 15 of Luke so, excuse me, chapter 15, verse 11, the son drifts away saying, give me, give me, give me my share. That's in verse 11. Then in verse 17, he's turned around completely. He says, make me. He's saying, mold me to the father. Make me a servant. Let me be a servant. Would you allow me the privilege from give me to allow me the privilege? What a transformation, huh? That's a heart transformation. 
The greatest transformation is from self-centeredness. Gimme, 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 gimme. Bless me. Heal me. Look after my cat while I'm on holiday. To, Lord, how can I serve you? That's a massive transformation. Now, I understand when babies are small, it's, we're doing this with hope. Open wide. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Yep, because she can't do anything for herself when she's a baby. But if she was still doing that when she was a teenager, it would be tragic. And an adult, it will be an anathema. There has to be growth in your Christian life. That's the way it should progress. So, the greatest transformation is from self-centered living to God-centered living. Today, are you saying, gimme, gimme, gimme? What can God do for me? Like an add-on? Like another app? Or is he the central operating system? Give me my stuff now. Or make me your servant. So the young man comes back and he says, make me, mold me. That's heart transformation. Now, point. Transformation is never overnight. It's never immediate. It's going to take your entire life. He's going to work on you and on me. But there is a decision that says this. It's like a mini conversion. I want to be more like Jesus and I want to change for good. I want to serve him. I want to love him. Not gimme, 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 gimme. That's a sign of immaturity. How can I help? Isn't that a blessing, Michelle, when your kids come and say that to you? How can I help, mum? Rather, where's my meal? What? There's a difference in attitude, a transformation in heart. But there's a decision. Now, 2 Corinthians 3.18 on the screen. We reflect the Lord's glory and are being transformed. That means a continual process. Not just once, but an ongoing process. Into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now that word transformed, Kimberly and I last night watched an hour documentary on metamorphosis. That same word, metamorpho, in Greek is exactly what it means from that whole lumbering caterpillar into a beautiful butterfly. Changed your old life, your new life. But there's a starting point and it's what the prodigal son says. He says, make me. You want to be changed? Make me. Mold me. That's offer up. Transform me. Change me. God, I don't want to live the rest of my life the way I'm living right now. It is unacceptable. I do not want to do that. But change me. Now, I know Romans 1 verse 2 is a verse uh, 1. But let me read you the verse before. Here it is. The verse before it says this. Because God is merciful to you, offer yourselves. There it is, offer. As living sacrifices... Holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. Some of you love to worship. This is a very practical way to worship. It's not just singing. It goes beyond that. It comes out often in singing, which we'll get to. Because God is merciful to you, offer yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And then it goes, and do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, metamorpho, by the renewing of your mind. Just like the prodigal son, 
you must volunteer. He said, Father, make me your servant. Here I am. Please allow me the privilege of serving you. Mold me. I'll do whatever you want, Lord. Shape me into what you want me to be. Sick of doing what I want. Not working. Your plan's the only one that'll ever last and give meaning and purpose to my life. Now, there's no transformation until you offer up. Very important as we move to the, towards the end of this. Notice the father's response. Filled with love and compassion. He ran out to his son and he threw his arms around him and kissed him. And he said, bring the best. Now, I want to suggest to you, this is not in the Bible, but I still want to suggest to you because it's reasonable. I want to suggest to you that the father probably cast his eyes out to that horizon every day, looking to see if there was any sign of this dear son who in you will be feeling deep pain. Hoping one day to see him return. Finally, his father saw him coming whilst he was far away. He wasn't there yet. And neither am I. And neither are you. But his father ran and he embraced him and he kissed his son. And he was filled with love and compassion at the sight of his son who had come home. And the father had waited so patiently. Oh my goodness. Those of you who have got children away from God right now know how that feels. And grandchildren. The father had patiently waited for him to come to his senses. And he was dealing with a human being with a will of his own. But he was so ready to receive if his son back, if he returned. In the same way, God's lavish love is welcoming and constant and patient. And he woos us to give us and gives us opportunities to respond. But he will not force us to come to him. Like the father in the story, God waits patiently for you and I to really want him. To repent of their sin, of neglect and adultery. To come home to him for forgiveness. Notice what the Bible says. You may want to write this down. Psalm 103 verse 13. This is how he responds. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. God's great love reaches out and welcomes sinners no matter why or how they got lost. Doesn't matter. Think about what the guy did. Doesn't matter. But the moment you say, God, I'm tired of living the way I'm living, I'm t- I blew it. I sinned. While he was distant, the father ran. Now, by the way, for the patriarch of the family to run was to lose all caution and to lose all dignity. So the father went way beyond normal forgiveness, waiting, I'll just wait till he comes to me on the doorstep. Right there. Remember that one? Come here. Right there. Nah, he thought. <laughs> do you remember that? I do. 
Right there. That's not the way the father approached this. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. So we went way beyond the norm in that customs. And he will run out to meet you. His love is not restrained, but loving and lavish and freely offered. God has a better life for you than you have ever imagined. And it's a relationship. It's not rules. And it's a relationship, not rules. How do I get back to God? I get fed up. And then what do I do? I own up. And then I offer up. And there's just one more thing. Which is a word to many of you today. I lift up my praise. I just say, thank you, God. Thank you for your grace and your forgiveness. And thank you for your love. Thank you for your incredible goodness. I lift up my praise. Here's what the Father says, by the way. (laughs) Interesting, the sort of celebratory aspect of this. He says in verse 23, 24, we're going to celebrate with a feast of eating and drinking. And he was lost, but now he's found. Let the party begin. That father was overjoyed. When the son came back home, there was a transformation in attitude and relationship. It's another story about the other son who was close and through this ended up being the other way, distant. That's another whole story. We haven't got time for that today. He said, we're going to party and we're going to celebrate and we're going to sing. The folks, this is it. The Bible encourages us to sing. You know that? To sing. Sing to God. Sing praise to his name. Lift up a song to him. His name is the Lord. Now, for your own transformation, you need to learn to celebrate more and quit being so serious. Focus and praise God for your own transformation. Actually, I did a quick Google search the other day of academic papers that look, this is, for a moment, allow me some brackets. I looked at the secular benefits of singing together in a group. Health benefits are through the roof. Secular peer review papers. And by the way, God said it all the time. The joy of the Lord is my strength. They're just confirming what God's already told you. We just need to get it. Sing praise to God. Lift our song up to him. His name is the Lord. So a great thing to do in your small groups is to also sing together. We sing here together. And by the way, Here's another one, Psalm 13, verse 6. I will sing to the Lord because he has been so good to me. Has God been good to you? Has he? You want to be transformed? Well, you need to get more serious about singing every song with enthusiasm. Logical. You imagine trying to tell your own spouse, your, part, your husband, Words like this. I love you. <laughs> Try that. See what happens. <laughs> Sometimes, or have you ever tried to have a conversation with somebody and you kind of, you're, you're talking to them, but somehow you kind of felt they weren't really there? I mean, they were there physically, but their mind's somewhere else. You ever had that experience? Anybody ever had that? I sometimes think God thinks that. We're trying to have a conversation with them in prayer, but we're thinking about the grocery shopping and the birthday list and everything else. God says, you will find me 
when you are serious about finding me. We're going to start to improve your health right now, your spiritual health. Why don't you stand with us and we're going to sing the creed. Father, those words are straight from my heart. Lord, you know that we want to be closer to you. And we pray that by your spirit this week, as we are about our work even tomorrow morning, that you'd remind us that your grace is so overwhelming. Lord, put a song in our heart. Lord, there's no way that we even deserve that beautiful love that you so freely give to us. But Lord, we ask you by your spirit, you'd remind us of your presence. Father, today we come to you and we say that we are fed up. We are fed up with the way things have been. We are fed up with the way that we've been living, living a life without you, living a life with you that's marginalised and a second or third or fourth priority, which is no priority. Father, we're sick of living on our own willpower alone, hanging on by sheer grit and determination. We need more than that. Otherwise, it's all hard work. Father, today we own up and we realise that you haven't moved at all. But actually, we have given our love and our affection to other things, other attractive propositions. And the reason that we're not close is because we've allowed these other things to cloud our vision of you. We've allowed idols in our lives and we've loved other things more than you. And that, Lord, has made you seem distant. Today, we willingly come back on our own and we own up to that fact. And we offer ourselves up, Father, to you as a living sacrifice, which is our spiritual worship. We're not saying, give me, give me, bless me, heal me asking, 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 asking but we are saying make us your servant mould us into the person that you want us to be transform our lives our God in these seven weeks make a radical transformation today if you've never accepted Jesus Christ with every eye closed and every head bowed if you have never accepted Jesus Christ and His gift, which is the most stunning gift you'll ever be offered, which is the gift of salvation. Would you say, Jesus Christ, right now, I confess my sin and I ask you to bestow that gift of salvation upon me. Thank you for loving me and dying for me on that cross in my place. I give myself back to you now and I offer myself to you. Make me your servant and transform my life. Be the manager of my life, the CEO, the chairman of the board and you call the shots from now on. I submit my life to you in the powerful and everlasting name of our Saviour Jesus Christ. And everybody said, God bless you. Why don't you take a seat for a moment?